0: All right, all right, well, we live, we're our church, you're sitting in a multi-ethnic church, and maybe sometimes you look around here on a Sunday morning, it might not look so multi-ethnic, but you are part of a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, multi-national church, (coughs) bonga. right? Thank you, Lord for that and I am so grateful to be part of that. It's a great celebration. Um it's a great celebration to be able to do that because in heaven in heaven, our picture of heaven is every tribe, tongue and nation is gathered before the throne of God giving worship. So somebody might ask you, is there uh, is are we all going to speak one language in heaven? The answer is no. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, we don't, we, we have a language of love that we'll all speak together. But when we have every tribe, every tongue, every tongue in heaven, I think we're going to speak Bahasa Indonesia. I think we're going to speak Swahili. I think we're going to speak French. I think we're going to speak Arabic. Dinka. I think we're going to speak English. We're going to have all these languages, but because we're there in God's presence, the Holy Spirit, we can understand each other. Thank you, Donna. We can understand, and we won't have to have translation. We won't. We won't have to have a French section over here where Phoebe's is interpreting what the angels are saying, and and then over here is a Swahili section where Felix is going to tell them. And then uh, I don't think Sam, you don't speak much Bahasa, do you? <laughs> You might have to turn to your mother and say, Mom, would you interpret for me? Yeah, probably. We have all these different, all these different. in our, But in our church, we're all together as one. And the reason God has put this on our hearts, to have a multi-ethnic church, is that we reflect what's going on in heaven. We reflect what's going on in heaven. This is so important to us. It's part of our vision. To be multi-ethnic. Donald and Wendy, when you go out to their sites, what do you see? You'll see a little Hispanic boy. You see an African boy. You see some American, uh, Anglo boys. They're all mixed together. Uh, Nepali. I saw the Nepali girl this past Wednesday. She wanted to be up in front and volunteering. You know, it was so cool to see all these different groups together. And I bet you, Sam, in your high school, there's people from all kinds of different Ethnic groups too, aren't they? So, our culture has become that, so church needs to be that. Really, I I feel this very, very strongly. And so does Donna. (laughs) And so do many of you. You might be thinking, why? Thank you, Bill. You might be thinking, why is this such a big deal? Well, it was Martin Luther King Jr. who's credited with this and he, he, you know, is famous for what he tried to do to bring justice and equality into the American society. And he's the one who said, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of the nation, of the week. Meaning, we're separated in our churches. You got your white church over there, you got your, uh, Black American church over there, you've got your Filipino church over here, they're all separated. Now, I don't want to jump on this bandwagon too hard, because, you know, we kind of like what we like, you know? You like what you grow up with. If you have turkey on Thanksgiving, you probably don't want to go to Hawaii and have, you know what they have for Thanksgiving? Spam. They love spam seriously, in Hawaii, they love spam, which somebody said pig. Yeah, it is. It's it's a form of pig <laughs> in a can. Uh, they they like to have. They I talking to this Hawaiian girl. She says, "Oh man, on Thanksgiving we always have spam, and I love it." And I thought, oosh, that's not my idea of a good time. I'd much rather have my turkey, mashed potatoes, and." And stuffing, you know. But we get to celebrate all this together in our church because our culture out here, you talk to Felix, you talk to Sam, and talk to our friend back here. Tell them us your name again. Saeed, yeah. Um, in their school, there's 20, 30 different ethnic groups together. Well, that's our society here. In Denver, Aurora, that's what it is. So, church needs to function this way. We need to learn how to get along with people who don't speak English as our first language. We need to learn how to not just get along, but to do ministry together. (laughs) Learn to love one another. Learn to help each other. Because if the church can't do it, how in the world can the world do it? How, How can that happen? If the church can't love each other across cultural lines and cultural differences, how can you expect the world to do it? You know, um, we have all these shootings that have happened, and we've had the, the racial tension, the racial violence, and it's been going on now. It's just been getting worse. For over the past 12 months, it's just been getting worse and worse and I really believe this, the answer is the church. Because the answer is Jesus in the church. But I'll tell you what, I don't think the church without Jesus is going to solve any problems. Because you know, when you get into church, you get into a lot of tension. There's church politics, There's there's strife in the church. There's gossip in the church. There's sin in the church. And I'm here today to say, that's got to stop. And we're going to change that in the name of Jesus. By Him. He's going to bring a change. He's going to bring a change. So, I'm talking today about God's presence God's presence in the church. We need Him. We need Him. (laughs) We need the presence of the Lord in the church. We need it. We need it. I am so hungry for God's presence in the church. Now, When we talk about God's presence, one thing we're taught from the Bible is God is everywhere. So if God is everywhere, He's automatically here. He's automatically in school. He's automatically, no matter what we do or say, He's everywhere. And the word we have for that is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. And so we accept that. That's a truth that's in the Bible. But there are some times and some places where it's more than that. Where His presence comes and settles in a place, and it's so powerful people can't even stand up. They fall over. They're brought to repentance. Just when they walk into a place, they they go into some on down a street, and they just feel overwhelmed. And they say, I've got to get right with God. Who can help me with that? I've got to repent. I've got to change my life. It's just an overwhelming thing that happens to people when they come into this, we'll call it, the manifest presence of God. So we have His omnipresence where He's everywhere. So you can be anywhere. Okay, When we say God is everywhere, we mean everywhere. He's in the bars. He's in the strip clubs. He's in the dens of iniquity. (laughs) He's in the places of sin. He's there because He holds stuff together. But that isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this thing where He comes down and He reveals Himself. And there is the, the Old Testament, they called it the Shekinah glory of God. The weight of His glory, the weight of His presence, settling down over a people and over a place. We need this, church. We need this. And I am feeling it so much, and maybe it's because of all the stuff that's been going on in our country. Maybe it's just because I God's touching my heart and saying, we've got to open the door of our hearts and of our church to His presence, to where He is so here that people sense it when they walk in. Amen. We need it. So, I want to say to you, church, God has you here in Denver for a reason. God has you here for a reason. Felix, God brought you from Zimbabwe to Denver for a reason. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't by accident that Tiara came and, and that Rick came. It's not an accident that Feast is here in Denver. God has a specific reason for it, and I want to tell you today what it is. (laughs) Because I know there's lots of details to it, but I'll tell you, each and every one of you are here in Denver to bring God's presence and His glory to this town. It's why you're here. It's why God hasn't just taken you back to be with Him in heaven. Because you know, God loves you so much. He wants to be with you. And there's two ways to be with God. One is for Him to take you to go be with Him. And the other is for Him to come down and to be with us. And God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. So I want to say to us today... We, church, we can do better. We can do better. I'm afraid we're a little careless and lax about God's presence. We want to come to church to be blessed. We want to come to church to let the blessing come to us. Let it come. We need stuff. We go to God, oh God, I need a, I need this, I need this, I need this. And then God gives it to us. And then, thank you God, thank you Jesus, and that's good. But you know, more than the blessings, more than the blessings, we need the blesser. (laughs) More than the blessings, we need the blesser. More than the gifts of the Father, we need the Father. Because you know, when you're with God, when you're with Him in His presence, sitting on His lap, All the other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're just with Him. Mm. God, I want You. God, I want You in our church. Our culture is drifting away. Okay, What I'm trying to do today is stir up a hunger for God. Stir up a hunger. We've been eating too much fast food. I get hungry, run through the drive-through at McDonald's, and then I'm not hungry for good food after that. It's like, it's like on my way home to go to dinner, I stop at McDonald's and get a hamburger and French fries. Then I go home, and there's the dinner that my wife or somebody has prepared, and I don't feel like eating it. And, you know, we're 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 satisfying ourselves with other things than with really getting hungry for God, for His presence. And so, I really want to encourage us today to start getting hungry. To start getting hungry. Yearn for His presence, because that's where God's going to come. Our culture is drifting, and it's been drifting for decades. Since 1963, I think it was, when there was a move to start taking prayer out of, schools, and to stop the public prayer in school. And that eventually happened to where it's no good. And then now we're at a point where uh, an Air Force chaplain was dragged out of a, dragged out of a a retirement ceremony because he was going to pray in Jesus' name and they didn't want to allow that to happen. Can you believe that in this country? That has happened. Not only there's such a there's such a, a an animosity toward the gospel and an animosity toward God that um, our culture is just keeps drifting. It's like we're pulling up the the foundations one by one, and we wonder why are people shooting each other in this country? Why are shooting police officers? Why is that happening? Well, if you just look at what we've done, if you just look at it. It's like well, no brain. That's obvious. It should be happening. We've pulled up prayer. We've pulled up public representations of the gospel. We've we've pulled up you know. There's fights over the the um, Christmas decorations, Christmas songs, all this stuff. And it's like there's such an animosity toward God in our country, and God is the only one who protects us from ourselves. We need Him. So, the hope for our country, for our culture, for our city is to invite Him back. Say, sorry God. Sorry that we've kicked you out. We need you. We want you. We beg for you. We repent for what we've done. We need you back. We need to be hungry for Him because He's the only one that can change the world. No amount of political pressure no amount of strong-arm politics is going to change things for the better. It's not. We cannot look to our politicians to fix our problems because they can't and they won't because they've got their agenda and the only one that they worship is themselves. It's not going to fix anything. Only Jesus is the one who laid down His life for us. and That's what it takes to fix our culture, is Him. We need to be hungry for Jesus because only Jesus can change the world. He did it before and He can do it again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. We can't even change ourselves. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to break an addiction? Have you ever tried to to stop thinking about something you're not supposed to be thinking about, you can't do it. You need help. You can try behavior modification. I remember back in the in the 80s, somebody came out with a new behavioral modification technique. Put a rubber band on your wrist. Have you heard of this? And every time you want to eat that chocolate, you just snap yourself in the wrist. Well, the people that I've talked to that tried that, it didn't work because the desire for chocolate was still there, and all the snapping in the wrist, all it left them was a sore wrist. A hungry for chocolate person with a sore wrist. Behavior modification doesn't work. There's only one thing that can change us the renewing of our minds as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to Almighty God. Thank you, Lord. We can't change ourselves. We have to follow Jesus. We need God's fire and presence here. Have you guys ever heard about the Azusa Street Revival in 1905, 1906, 1907? Man, what a great, what a great thing that was. As I read about it, I just, it stirs up the hunger in me again. It stirs up the hunger. Because I want to see that. There was a time, there was a time in Azusa where the people were gathered there praying. It was like a 24-7 thing that went on and on and on and on. Some people saw fire above the roof at the the meeting house. They called the fire department. Hey, that building's on fire. (laughs) You know what happened? The fire department got there There wasn't a fire that they could put out, but they saw something up on the roof that was bright and light. You know what that was? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of God. You're never going to put out the presence of God with a fire hose. It's not happening. (laughs) It was God's presence. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this stuff not because I want the manifestations of it, but because I want Him. And wherever He shows up, these things do, too. (laughs) People are healed. People repent of their sins. Marriages are healed, put back together. Demons are cast out. People's minds are clear. Wherever God's presence is. Because that's where His kingdom comes. And that's because He's on His throne. And He's established right there. (sighs) The church doesn't exist to satisfy your needs this church exists to exalt jesus does anybody know our tagline light of the nations um i probably should do as a multi ethnic family marie I think you need an ice cream for that, something really, something nice. A Denver. Well, the old one is a Denver mosaic of the family of Christ. And I had been looking at that and I thought, you know, that's good. That's a good one. That's the old one. We should get you the new one, Bill. Um, That's a good one because we want to be, that describes who we are. We're multi-ethnic. We're like a mosaic. All these different colors put together to create a picture of the family of Christ. But really what we exist for is exalting Jesus as a multi-ethnic family. We're here to exalt Jesus. That's our number one. That's why we exist. To give Him praise. To make a place for His fire to burn. We are all a bunch of candles with a wick. And we just need the fire to come down and light us up. We can light the world if we come on fire with Him. I'm so hungry. So hungry for the presence of God. Now, <clears throat> you know how the doctor, when he comes to you, the nurse, comes to give you a little shot. Do you know what they say? You're going to feel a little pinch. You ever heard that before? Okay, you're going to feel a little pinch, and you know, "Oh no, here it comes." Well, I just want to say something right now. You're going to feel a little pinch with what I'm about to say. You're going to feel a little pinch. Because I want to tell something that's true, but it hurts. It hurts me. And I've been telling it to to myself all week long already. It hurts. I want to be able to witness to somebody in the store, on the street, in in a classroom, in some setting, somewhere. I want to meet people and lead them to Christ. And I have tried doing that. And a lot of times when I try to introduce the topic, you know what I get? It's a little bit of a step back, back away, and sort of a glazed look over their eyes as I talk, and they don't want to hear it. And I've asked the Lord about that, and this is really the answer that has come to me. And I'm I'm going to say it like I wrote it down. If you ever wonder why the unsaved around you are not interested in you and they don't notice your witness to Christ, witness of Christ. It could be that it's because there isn't enough of Christ in you. There's not enough of the presence of God inside of you to draw them to Him. You follow what I'm saying? I've been convicted of this. There's not enough of Christ in me that draw those people to me to where they say, I need to get right with God. Can you tell me how? Because there's two reactions. When there's enough of Christ in me, there's one, I want to kill you. And two, show me how to get right with God. Those are the, those are the reactions that people have. If there is enough of Christ in me, that's what will happen. People will come up with an intense hatred because that's what happened to Jesus. An intense hatred. Or, oh man, I want to follow this guy. He's told me everything I need to know. <laughs> you know, those those are the two reactions with Jesus. It was positive or negative. It was darkness or light. That's what came out. So I'm standing before you today to say, I am committed to invite more of Jesus' presence in me. So much so that I'm not consumed with the anxiety of the day-to-day stuff, but I'm consumed with Him. That I'm not so taken up with the details of running the church as I'm taken up with embracing Him. Jesus Himself. So much that all of Him will flow out of me. That's what I want. And and I'm not satisfied with just me. Because I'm supposed to lead this group a bunch here. And I, I want it in you. I want it in each and every one of your lives. I want the presence of God to so fill you that you walk into Joel's Walmart <laughs> and the people drop to their knees and say, God, help me, I need you. That we carry the presence of God into the homes where we work, the schools where we go, and that people are turned around, caught up with paying attention to Him. Even without words being shared. God's presence is on your neighborhood. They drive past your house and tears start coming to their eyes saying, I've got to repent. That's what I want to see. We need that in our city. I'm so hungry for it. And it's only going to happen as we ourselves begin to be broken and repent. Now, I just want to... um, We've got a couple minutes left here. And I just want to... This is part one. Next week will be part two. And we're going to keep going until the presence and His glory is in in the house. (laughs) I want Him so much i just want to share this one thought here i'm going to erase this said is it okay if i erase this okay well apologize i'll erase everything except this one phrase up here respect time i know that they were trying to get people to come to church on time so i'll just i'll just leave that one up there Yeah, we know about that. We know about that. Praise the Lord. Okay. So in in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, the Lord told Moses, "I want you to build this thing." It was called we call it an ark. But the word arc is just a box. It's a box, and this box was, I think, two cubits long. Is that right? Cubit and two and a half long and a cubit and a half wide. So it was. So how long is two and a half cubits? A half. Okay, a cubit is from your elbow to your tips of your finger. So. Depending on the person, could be longer shorter. Donna's two and a half cubits might be different than Tim's two and a half cubits. <laughs> but, uh, it was a box. That's what it was. It was a box. And inside the box, they had the, they put the stone tablets that Moses got on Sinai. Right? With the Ten Commandments on them. There was also, they put in a, uh, Aaron's rod that had budded into with almond branches and fruit on it, and I think they also had a jar of manna, you know, the manna that they got in the wilderness. Was there anything else that was put in the ark? I think that was it, right? So an ark, it's a box. It's a box. And they had this stuff in there, and we're going to look at this more next week, but The priests were supposed to carry the ark on their shoulders on these rods. Now, the box itself was covered in gold. It was made of acacia wood inside and out, out, covered with gold. That's right. A capacitor. <laughs> okay, well, some people got fried by that thing. Um, that, uh, but he, but but the the thing about this box that I wanted to say. This is very significant, right? The stone tablet, the jar of manna, the these represents God's word, miraculous stuff, and His fruitfulness. But the thing about the box that was the most important was not what's inside the box, but what's on top of the box. Because on top was a lid. And this lid was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And on one side was an angel with his wings stretched out. On another side was an angel with his wings stretched out. The cherubim and the seraphim. That's what they're called. And on this seat, guess who sits there? The presence of God. Now, there are books written, and as the brothers just said, there are some interesting things about the ark. But what really mattered about the ark was not what's in it, but what's on it. His presence. His presence. And church, that's what we need. We're meeting in a box right now. And it's not, you know, you are all precious. You are all very precious. And valuable to God. But in order for us to become the world changers we need to be, We need Him to come and sit on top of this place. We need God to sit on His... Where does a king sit? Throne. So really, this box is a throne. It's a seat for God. So they would take it out into battle, and the enemy would be frightened and run away most of the time when they carried this out into battle. Unless... God's presence wasn't there. And sometimes that happened. We're going to look at that next week. But I just want to say to us, yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just want to say to us, unless His presence is here, unless His presence is here, we're meeting for no reason. Unless His presence is here, we sing these songs that we sing for no reason. Unless His presence is here, all the prayer, all the the activity of the church has no meaning (laughs) in our own personal life or in our corporate gathering. Church, I want something more. And the most direct way for us to have God's presence is our own Brokenness and repentance, our humility. Just want to read a verse and I'll close with this. In 2 Chronicles, very famous verse, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This has been brought up in our Wednesday night prayer meeting several times. But Who are the people who have to repent and pray? My people. So, who is that? Is that... President Obama, is that the the marijuana places up and down the street? Who are the ones who are called by his name? It's us. It's the church. It's the church. <laughs> it's you and me, brother and sister. It's you and me. And you know, we're so full of all those bad people out there. Look at what they're doing. They're changing the laws and making homosexual... Marriages and all these things, how bad, how bad, how bad. We're not going to change that by pointing at how bad that is. We're going to only change it by humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. Repenting. Ourselves. And none of you, I mean, I don't know everybody's personal life, but I don't, I think most of us in here aren't like, Celebrating these changes that have come to our city. I don't think we're, you know, maybe some of you are slipping down to the marijuana place. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I love you anyway, even if you do. Yeah, thank you. So, this is what I'm talking about. Our pointing out all the wrongs of the world or all the political problems, all the, all the stuff isn't going to change it. This is what our Bible teaches us. It's if you and me, brother and sister, we humble ourselves and pray. And I love this phrase, seek His face. Seek His face. I have so much more I want to say, but the only people who get to see God's face, you know what the Bible says about those who see His face? What happens to them? They're dead. They die. You cannot see God's face and live. So here's the good news, bad news for you, my brothers and sisters. If you want to get, see God's face, you got to die. It's only dead men and women who can change this world. You and I, we need to die. And that's what I'm calling you and me to. To die, offer ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar, we're going to die to ourselves. We're going to die to our sin life. We're going to die to those shady things that keep God out of our lives. We're going to die. And when we die, we'll get to see His face. Let's seek His face, church. Would you stand with me? And just... uh, I feel like we need to do this together, so... I'd like to ask you to just kind of hold the hand of the person next to you and join me in this, in this prayer of repentance. God, we seek Your face. God, we seek Your face. We need Your face, Lord. And we know that we need to die. We need to turn our back on a life of sin. We need to turn our back on even those little attitudes and things that we hold on to and cherish because we know we're right about those things. And we need to turn our back on that. Repent. Really repent. And be broken before You to open up the highway of Your love, the highway of Your uh, touch, the highway of Your blessing into our own personal lives, each and every one of us. And Lord, as we are holding hands, with a group of people around this room, we're doing that because we want to do this together as a church. We want to repent together as a church. Lord, we turn from our wicked ways. We confess our sin to You. And Lord, by Your grace, will You humble us? Will You humble us? Will You humble us? Oh God, in Jesus' name. Lord, we bend our knee. We're your people. And we turn from our wicked ways. There are ways that we're living in that we, we don't know are wicked. We don't think of them as wicked because we're so used to them. But you yourself want us to turn from them. So I just invite You, God, now in the name of Jesus to come and turn us from those wicked ways that You might be exalted in our life, that Your presence can come and we can burn with a holy fire that will not be put out. Jesus, we come to You. Jesus, we come. We invite You, Lord, and as the pastor of this church, I just want to stand before everyone and say, Lord, start with me. Start with me. Start with me. Lord, I turn from my wicked ways. I repent of my sins, my thoughts, my attitudes that try to exalt myself over anybody else. My thoughts and opinions of what's all wrong in the world. Lord, I just turn from any judgmentalism. I turn from self-righteousness. I turn from... Boredom with You. I turn from it, Lord. And I say, I repent before You. Oh God, come. Come and flood me. Flood us with Your presence, with Yourself. We seek Your face, oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.